Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. It's rare for a restaurant to open these days without first testing the waters, and one of the best ways to do that is with a pop-up. Whether they're set up in the kitchen of an established restaurant, held in a private home, or even on a downtown roof, these pop-ups are a chance for chefs to test the waters. They also help talented newcomers build a following and give diners a chance to taste the latest and greatest. In fact, if you ask Bria Jones, a St. Louis resident who attended one recent pop-up at South St. Louis City's Craft Beer Cellar, there's just one drawback. The only con I would have to say about a pop-up experience would be the wait outside. I mean it's a cool feel to be around a whole bunch of other people that want to have the same experience as you but it also sucks to stand in the sun with bugs and such. So maybe the only con is that pop-ups are just too popular. <laughs> Here to discuss pop-up restaurants is Chelsea Helligy, who recently wrote a feature story about the scene for our friends over at Sauce Magazine. Chelsea Helligy, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. So you started a pop-up called Spirit House, and now I understand you're regularly hosting strangers in your own home. Yeah. How did that begin? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're totally normal, right? Um, Everybody does it. <laughs> a lot of people. Um, my husband and I started this last summer um, just because we uh, had always kind of BSed about opening a restaurant, but we didn't actually want to open a restaurant. Um, we just like real Thai food. He's from Thailand, and um, we and he cooks all the time. Um, and we just wanted to like start feeding our friends. You know, hey, come taste this. It's probably not what you can get. You know, at your local Thai place and. Everyone was like really into it, and so we just started inviting whoever, um, and uh, it just kind of took off from there. <laughs> and you're doing this around your kitchen table, or yeah, essentially. Um, in the summer, we actually set up outside on our porch. Um, we have a covered porch, so that's kind of cute. Um, lots of mosquitoes. <laughs> um, so, uh, but yeah, it's like it's very quaint. We only have room for eight people, um, which. Um, you know, so it can be hard to get a seat at the table, but um, it's also really neat that it's um, only eight people because then everybody gets to sit together. It's so and intimate. It's very intimate, and um, that's actually um, a lot of people have said that's actually really contributed to the whole experience. Is like you know dining with um, people that they had never met before and the conversation and um, it's just it's a really cool social thing as much as it is about food. It sounds like it could be like the most amazing dinner party or it could be with the wrong guest the experience from hell. Absolutely. Has that happened? <laughs> it actually hasn't though that was kind of our thing was like oh man like this could just be um, you know this is a wild card it could go either way but um, honestly um, the I think that it's pretty self-selecting this kind of you know, um, experience. Um, only really cool, chill, social people want to come to something like this, like eat at somebody's house that they don't know very well or maybe not at all. So, um, yeah. It's so a self-selecting group. Self-selecting group. I can say 100% of our guests have been awesome. So <laughs> I guess we should all start hosting these pop-ups. If only we knew how to cook. Uh, we're also joined by Heather Hughes, who's the managing editor of Sauce Magazine, and Stephen Persley, who runs the pop-up Ramen Rui. Um, Heather, thank you so much for joining us. It feels like so many of our top new restaurants right now began with pop-ups. Can you give us just a few uh, high-profile examples? Yeah. Well, I think um, there are two different kinds of ways that people will test the market like that. Um, like... Uh, the first that come to mind are Sardella, um, which opened a couple years ago, uh, Gerard Crafts Restaurant. Before they opened, they um, had some lunch services at Sump Coffee, 
Um, and then just kind of the South City sort of just cool laid back coffee shop. And you get one of the best chefs in town who decided to do a pop up there. Yeah, uh, it's really fun experience. It's sort of like every time they do something like that, if if they're not um, actively open yet, it feels like really personal and it sort of has that like opening day energy but it's it was on like random Wednesdays or whatever so um, they would just have a folding table in the back of the coffee shop and then Gerard Kraft himself was handing out sandwiches or whatever um, which is a really fun way to get to know uh, an upcoming restaurant and then a really great way for chefs to um, try menu items and sort of get a sense of service even if it's not in their own place yet. Um, I know Vicia did that for lunch services at the Cortex before they opened. Um, and but they're now one of the top restaurants in town. Yeah, um, very, very successful. I think any anybody who's going to open something new wants to be able to try menu items, wants to uh, try service, try new people. Um, and it's a, it's a really easy way to do that, especially if you already have a name. Like Drug Craft is going to get people to go to Sump. Um, so, so Stephen Persley, um, you've started a, a pop-up called Ram, Ramen. I keep mispronouncing this. <laughs> ramen Rui, and that's actually Ramen, and then there's a little lowercase X, and then Rui is R-U-I. Yeah. Um, why did you decide to go the pop-up route? Um, so unlike Chelsea and Ake, I do want to open a restaurant. So that is the end goal. And yeah, like Heather was saying, I want to test the waters and kind of show the people what I'm trying to do. So. And what uh, you're obviously doing ramen. Uh-huh. Um, ramen with a twist or? Uh, no, just traditional ramen. Um, yeah, I don't think it's had its moment in St. Louis or even the States yet. So I really want to bring the culture, do it proper. And what was the hardest part about getting started with a pop-up? Um, for me personally, I think it was just feeling comfortable sharing my work. Um, you know, coming from Japan and studying over there, it's such a vast world with a million different flavors. There's more ramen shops in Japan than there are McDonald's and Starbucks combined. So just coming to a point where I felt comfortable, like, okay, I got something that I'm confident in that I think the people will rally behind. So just reaching that point and then put myself out there. And with your goal being that you want to open a restaurant at some point, how, what do you think it will take for you to say, I'm ready? Um, I think I'm there, you know, uh, just this past month with the sauce article. Shout out to you guys. Um, yeah, it's been a lot of love and yeah, I'm feeling the support. So, and how long had you been doing the pop-up, um, before you, uh, I'm about a year into the pop-ups, but I moved to Japan in 2014 to work and learn. So study ramen. I'm about five years into it. Chelsea, what about you? What do you think it would take for you to feel ready to take this to a brick and mortar? Or never. <laughs> um, I would say an angel investor with a lot of cash. Um, Don't we all need one of those? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, like my, my husband and I, our little joke is like we like our marriage and we want to stay married and ha ha ha, you know, restaurants are hard. And so, they are so hard. Yeah. So yeah, if, if someone wants to, to throw some money at it, you know, we would love to like creative direct, you know, um, make sure that, you know, be the head of integrity or whatever, um, oversee recipe development and that kind of thing. But like not, we can't be in that daily operational sort of black hole, you know, of a restaurant because it's a lot of work. It's a hustle. Our producer, Lara Hamden, spoke with restaurant owners Charlene Lopez-Young and Darren Young of the pop-up The Fattened Calf, that's C-A-F, about why they decided to open a pop-up rather than a brick-and-mortar restaurant. Let's have a listen. And if we open a brick-and-mortar, I don't know, you know, that's like a really big step and that's not really essentially what we wanted. We wanted something that we can bring to the community and if this is it, this is mobile, we can be wherever people want us to be 
rather than ask people to come to us. There's something different about that. Um, and maybe in the future, maybe I mean, I'm not going to say no, but... I would say this. I don't know if we want a full-time kind of restaurant open, you know, five, six days out the week. I think what more fits kind of our vision and our life is uh, something that we can do on a Friday night and a Saturday night, um, you know, Sunday morning brunch, um, and just using food as as something that can bring people together. Um, yeah. And, you know, we still have... Um, our full-time jobs and our lives and our passions and and this is certainly one of them um, but I'm not sure um, if we're ready to give up everything else yet um, but yeah. coming here seeing the crowd seeing the lines seeing, uh, seeing all the Filipinos that <laughs> that really makes me feel like I'm at home that was Charlene Lopez Young and Darren Young of the Fattened Calf speaking from the scene of their Filipino-American barbecue pop-up at the Craft Beer Cellar. You can catch our full conversation with them on our website. Uh, the Fatted Calf pop-up is where we interviewed a diner earlier in the segment where she talked about standing in line just to get in. Heather, is that common? I think it just totally depends on the construct. Like Chelsea's pop-up is a ticketed event, so you know you're going to get a seat at the eight-top eight table, which yeah. you wouldn't want to wait in line for, I imagine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it depends on the pop-up. Some are ticketed dinners where you already know you have a seat. Um, some are more like food truck experiences, like before um, Counterculture opened a brick and mortar, uh, they would pop up at some coffee as well. It just came to mind because of Sump, I guess. Um, but they would have folding tables outside. Um, and that casual setup is going to cause more of a crowd. It just depends. Uh, Chelsea, do you end up with a waiting list for these dinners? Yeah. Or? Yeah. <laughs> a oh, big yeah. waiting list, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, sure. Bigger than we had ever anticipated it would be for our silly eight top tables. So um, yeah, it, that part of it has been challenging and um, and it sucks to like have to turn people away, yeah. you know. Um, but I guess at the same time, um, I've always been kind of a big believer in um, scarcity creates value. And um, our scarcity isn't manufactured, it's real. Like, you know, we're amateurs and we, you know, again, only have a few seats. You're not um, living in a mansion, you've just right, got a normal house. Right, we just, we have extreme limitations um, and, uh, you know, we can, this is what we can give. And so, um, but that being said, um, you know, that scarcity, I think, does help kind of um, propel a certain amount of interest in it. Heather Hughes, um, uh, from the Sauce Magazine perspective, something like Spirit House, where there's this long wait to try to get a seat at this table, mm -hmm. has that helped to build a buzz, do you think? I think so. I mean, we definitely heard about it um, on social media and stuff like that. It can gain a lot of attention. Um, but it is, it's the sort of thing like having a popular food truck and that scarcity element. People will look out for you and want to find you. And then if you open a brick or mortar, sometimes that doesn't always translate. It's always a hard business and I feel like you can have buzz for a while and it might go away or it like Balkan Treat Box might carry over into a sort of like long-term popularity. And that started as a food truck. It's now a really successful brick and mortar restaurant in yeah. Worcester Groves. Mm -hmm. um, Stephen Persley, as as the founder of the Ramen Rui pop-up, um, the flip side of having too many guests is not getting enough guests. I know you found some real success. How did you find the people who found you? Um, it just started out I think similar to Chelsea, it was just friends and coworkers, and then from there it went to their friends and then their friends, and yeah, it kind of started getting a little rowdy at the house. So now I'm trying to transition from <laughs> the apartment pop-ups to we just did one at Endo. Shout out to Nick. Um, 
yeah, so I think I'm just going to move that route to being in public spaces where we can handle the capacity. And so you're not um, doing any um, paid marketing on social media or anything like that? Nothing paid. Okay. Just my personal page that I turned into the business page. And yeah, people have been following. So this might be a really silly question, Stephen, but do you still run into perceptions of ramen where people who don't really know the food scene, they might associate <laughs> it with top ramen, that, that crap that we all ate in college, as opposed um, to the high-end Japanese yeah, version? As far as the food scene, I think most people know that there is a real ramen. But like I said, I don't think it's had its moment yet. There's still a lot of room for growth and great potential for ramen in America. And you said you were originally doing or are still doing some of these pop-ups in your own apartment. Is it hard to get strangers to say, yeah, I'm going to go to some random dude's apartment and he's going to cook me dinner? <laughs> uh, it wasn't too hard. I guess they trust their friends. So <laughs> they said it was good. So on their word, they came through and had did, a good time. Did you ever have anyone, Chelsea uh, Heligi, try to vet you before they came going, I want to make sure this isn't a scam? Oh, I mean, I, I'm i not aware of being vetted, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> um, in our early days, you know, um, I was I thought we would have to fight tooth and nail to fill every seat. Um, and for a couple of dinners where it was just, you know, mostly, um, you know, maybe acquaintances and then the people they would bring, it was just, I was just like, is this going to work? We're going to like tuck her out in a couple of weeks here. Um, but it um, after that, it was um, amazingly easy. So I think people are kind of over it. They're they're over the like, oh, this is weird. You know, this is awkward. They're they're into it, actually. Mm-hmm. And you guys have both talked about pushing the envelope a little bit. Um, uh, Stephen, personally, in terms of St. Louis, not quite um, having its ramen moment yet. And then Chelsea, you're doing Thai food in a way that St. Louis hasn't had Thai food. Is it hard to balance things people already know and might be interested in versus really trying to push the envelope? I think for me, and speaking on ramen, the reason I was drawn to it initially was just because growing up, my mother's Japanese, I was eating ramen in Japan. I just think it's such an approachable food. And I think that many cultures have their version of it, just a soup in a noodle. So, I mean, even compared to sushi, I think it's way more approachable. And yeah, if it's done the right way, it's a beautiful thing. And I think people anywhere can enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I think, um, you know, it's definitely important to have that approachability aspect. Um, but then at the same time, I think one of the benefits of um, starting as a pop-up or just operating as a pop-up um, indefinitely is that um, you don't have to be everything to everybody. You know, you're free to um, have more of a loud viewpoint about something, which is kind of our shtick. Like mm-hmm. we kind of low key troll like just U.S. Thai restaurants in general about things that are pretty much industry standards. Um, like give us an example of how you troll the, the Thai restaurant scene. All right. So like probably all of my dinner guests will will they'll think this is familiar. Um, but I always crowbar in something about like, you know, we're, we're not using bell peppers, for example. Like that is not a Thai vegetable. But like any Thai restaurant you go to in the U.S. for the most part, almost every dish is going to have those dang bell peppers in it. Um, so we try to just, you know, touch on points like that, like, you know, this dish might not be recognizable to you. So you're also educating your guests a little bit. Yeah, I try not to bore them. You know, I, I pepper it with a lot of four-letter words and, like, extravagant hand gestures. Um, so I think they're pretty entertained by the whole thing. But at the same time, you know, they're kind of hostages on my porch. So um, I have to watch. They can't go. <laughs> yeah. That's the freedom of temporary dining. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Stephen, do you also try to educate your diners then? Most definitely. Um, it might even get boring to them, but I could talk for days about ramen. Um, 
So, yeah, I think especially at this stage, like Chelsea said, it's kind of like a self-identifying crowd. The people that want to be there are for the most part into it. So I get a lot of questions and, yeah, I love answering them. We got a question on Twitter, and this, I think, is going to be our last question here because we're kind of running short on time. Um, Kate on Twitter asks, how do you host a food pop-up and take money with IRS and health department regulations? We don't talk about um, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just in, in 30 seconds here, was that a real big pain in the neck or just a small pain in the neck? It's not a big pain in the neck um, in terms of, you know, re- reporting income is pretty simple and straightforward. <laughs> um, you make being legal sound so easy. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we're legal in that aspect and then uh, and others not so much because unfortunately, as far as I know, there's no way to legitimize um, food that you're serving out of your house. If there is, somebody tell me about it because we're interested. So you have not involved the health department at this point? No. (laughs) We haven't. Is that the same for you, Steven? Same, yeah. uh, We just call them donations. Absolutely. Like, we're very clear with all of our guests that we're donation-based, um, and so um, that's that's how we operate. That's Chelsea Hellegy of Spirit House and Stephen Persley of Ramen Rui. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And Heather Hughes from Sauce Magazine, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.